We're going to end up over in Matthew 18 here. We're going to look at Mark 9, Luke 9, and then we'll go to Matthew 18 here in a minute. So I'm going to title my message tonight. It's going to be called, The Kingdom Belongs to the Little Children. So, you know, there was a, a person back in the 1920s, and their name was W.C. Alley. And W.C. Alley, what they did is he, he made it a project to study chickens. And so what he noticed was, he noticed that there, there was a definite prestige order amongst hens. And we kind of have heard about that, right? <laughs> definite pattern just like humans. So some of them would freely peck on the ones they thought were below them in rank. And the ones in rank would submit to being pecked by the ones that were above them. So that's how where we get our term, the pecking order. And, you know, the way the world operates is everybody wants to be as high as they can on the pecking order, don't they? So when you're in a, a family, don't your kids, they like to make sure that pecking order is kept in order, right? The little ones are not going to jump ahead of the bigger ones. That's not the way it's going to work. And, you know, when you're in school, at least when I went to school, you got the people that were the cool ones, the athletes, and the popular ones. And there was sort of a pecking order that went on there. And then you had the ones that were the more picked on and all that. Well, that wasn't dangerous back when I was in high school, but now those are the ones that get the guns and come after somebody because they, they feel pick, picked on or pecked on, however you want to say that. And then when you're at work, almost every work situation has got a pecking order. And so you're trying to, people are trying to climb up that ladder, get a little higher in the pecking order, and they'll do things to impress their boss to get up there. And, you know, Jeff and I go into prison, and there is a definite pecking order there. And that is set by a lot of ways. Intimidation, a guy will have a reputation. <laughs> and then if you commit certain crimes, that will automatically put you on the bottom of the pecking order. So you sexually abuse kids and you will be abused in prison. That is just the way it is. You are on the bottom of the pecking order. And I've seen that happen where guys are just living in literal fear 24 hours a day because of the abuse they catch because they'll find out, they find out what everybody's crime is. Technically, they're not supposed to, but they do. And so there's a pecking order in prison, family, school, work, and prison. It's just the way the world operates. It has a, a pecking order, operates on that system. In a sense, in the world, when you're in the world, everybody wants to outdo everybody else in importance and greatness. So I don't know, maybe some of you homeschoolers, how many people in here would have ever heard of John Keats? John Keats? Okay, well, anyways, you're going to hear about John Keats. So John Keats, he lived a ways back, but he was an English Romantic poet, and that's probably why not too many people, I would have never heard of John Keats. English Romantic poetry was not actually my thing. But here's what I want to get at with John Keats. He said something that's very interesting. So we're talking about the kingdom belongs to the little children. But listen to what he said. He said, I would sooner fail than not be among the greatest. He had to be known as the greatest, though with him he'd be the greatest English romantic poet. But he said he'd rather fail than not be known among the greatest. And listen to that. Now, I'm not going to ask for your hands on how many people know of Napoleon. <laughs> I would assume everybody has, right? But listen to what Napoleon said. He said, in our time, no one has the conception of what is great. It's up to me to show them. Now, that's, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Especially from a little French man. <laughs> That's quite a statement. And then we all, if we're, we, since we're here in Louisville, how many people we all know about Muhammad Ali? Literally the most recognized person in the world. I guess he still is. I know he was at one time back in his peak and after. 
And what is his nickname? The greatest. And he would definitely let you know he was the greatest, wouldn't he? Kind of comical, but he'd let you know he was kind of a funny guy in a lot of ways. But we even have that in the pecking order. and We've had that in the religious realm, even the charismatic realm. A lot of you maybe have never heard of Jack Coe. But what Jack Coe did, those guys back then, they all had their little revival tents. And as the story goes, Jack Coe had to have the biggest one. And so he measured Oral Roberts' revival tent and made sure he ordered one. I don't know if it was a foot bigger, but it had to be bigger, and it was. So Jack Coe could claim that he had the biggest revival tent out there, and that's kind of what we're talking about, isn't it? It spills over into Christianity where that whole pecking order wanting to be the greatest We'll see, that's not how the Lord wants us to be, though. And so we're going to look at Mark 9, Luke 9, and then we'll end up in Matthew 18. So if you should be there in Mark 9, and in Mark 9, beginning in verse 33, we read, And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And they should have known it was Muhammad Ali. I I don't know what the problem was. And he sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receives me. And whosoever shall receive me receives not me, but him that sent me. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followed not us, and we forbade him, because he followed not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me, for he that is not against us is on our part. In verse 41, For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, just because you belong to Christ, Verily, I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And so if you'll turn over to Luke 9, we're going to read three places to begin. We'll start there in verse 46. We'll just read two verses in Luke 9, and then we'll go back to Matthew 18. So Luke 9, verse 46. And there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him and said unto him, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receives me, and whosoever shall receive me receives him that sent me, for he that is least among you the same shall be great. Least among you. And then turn back to Matthew 18, and that's, that's where we're going to be parked for the next few weeks. So I said we're going to teach this entire chapter. In the middle of the chapter, it deals with church discipline, but the chapter really needs to be taught as a whole because it all ties in. So it's going to probably take me four, four times of teaching to get through the chapter is how it'll work, Lord willing. But in Matthew 18, we'll read the first 14 verses. We're not going to deal with all 14 tonight, but I want to read the first 14. Matthew 18, verse 1, And at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them, And said, Verily or truly, I say unto you, Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receives me. 
But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off, and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye offends you, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. He says, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. And what think ye? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go into the mountains and seek that which is gone astray? And if it so be that he find it, truly I say unto you, he rejoices more of that sheep than of the ninety-nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Well, let's pray. Father, we just ask you once again tonight, Lord, we just all bow our hearts before you and just ask that you'll teach us, Lord, what true humility is according to your word and that you want us to be converted and just to be like a little child, a little four-year-old child. And we just thank you that you'll show us that tonight and ask you'll help me to teach that clearly and that your presence will be here with us to instruct us by your Holy Spirit. And we just pray that in Jesus' name. So this entire chapter of Matthew 18 is dealing with humility and forgiveness. It begins with humility and it will end with a big lesson on forgiveness. But that's what the whole chapter deals with. And what Jesus is doing here is he is revealing to his disciples the characteristics of life in the kingdom community, which is what we're in in this church, the kingdom, the characteristics of it. And so we'll see that even God himself within this community, he humbles himself to go and seek his sheep, his children that are lost. God himself humbles himself. We, we just read that. Verses 10 through 14. But he also says that we, he humbles himself, and to be like him, we have to humble ourselves and our attitudes and our positions with others in the church. That's what we need to do. And that includes forgiving those that have wronged us. That's what we need to see, and that's what we'll see tonight. And so God, we're going to see tonight, the first five verses, he wants us to become like little children. And I would say it will take great effort and the grace of God for us to remain that way. And it's the grace of God for us to become that way to begin with. But it will definitely be the grace of God that enables us to have the effort to maintain that position. So what we're seeing here in these first five verses is that to enter into the kingdom of God, we must, it's a must, we must become like little children. That's what he's teaching us here. So we look at verse 1. And it says, at that same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so just like us, just like we tend to be, the disciples were influenced by the culture that they lived in and the world's idea of what greatness was. That's what they were influenced by. And here's what's happening is they are becoming more and more convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they know he's got a kingdom coming, and they know that there are going to be positions in that kingdom of authority, 
And they're wanting to be a part of it. They're wanting to take advantage of these openings that they know are going to be there. And so because it was just two chapters previous, we know that Peter made his great confession. And Jesus says, who are you? And he says, oh, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That was a tremendous confession coming from a Jew to acknowledge that. So they know that's coming. But what we're seeing here in this chapter is Jesus knows that his disciples, they're not his enemies. And he's, what he's seeing, though, is they need to be instructed, just like we all do, don't we? They need to be constructed. And so we read in Romans 12, 1, this is what he's doing. He's saying, we, I've got to get you out of conformity to the world, and I've got to transform you. And how does he transform all of us, including the disciples, through his teaching? Transform us by the renewing of your mind. So... He's not getting on them, but he's going to go through here and show them and, and use the example of a little child of this is what you need to become. And that's how it's working. Look there in verse 2. This is a pretty effective uh, prop, you could say. And I tried to get one. I couldn't get a little four-year-old to come up here tonight, and that's all right. <laughs> I tried to get one, but he didn't want to come. Look what it says in verse 2. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. So in our Matthew account, it just says he calls over. But I don't know, you might not remember, but back in the Mark account in Mark 9, he didn't just call him over into the midst of him. It says he put his arms around him. So you got to get that picture. <laughs> he calls a little child over. And so Jesus was a lot more winsome than I am, I guess, because that little child came. <laughs> My little child said, I really don't want to do it. And I said, that's fine. You don't have to do it. That's okay. But he's young enough and small enough, it says a little child, that Jesus, it says, was able to take him in his arms. And he's standing there the whole time that he's teaching this chapter. I mean, he wasn't like, I'm teaching you chapter 18. But the whole time he's speaking to him in this chapter, as a demonstration, he's holding that little child. And he's saying, this is what you have to become. And there's that little obedient child just standing there, and the Lord's holding him the whole time that he's talking to him. Standing there is an object lesson. And so, you know, what we see is they ask him in verse 1, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And what they need to see here, that's what they asked in verse 1, is that who God considers the greatest is just the opposite of what the world considers the greatest. Isn't that right? That's <laughs> because for the world, you want to be the bigger, the badder, the one to climb the ladder, boast of all of what you can do. And I'm saying everybody can relate to this. We have that all summed up in one man that we're all aware of now, Donald Trump. Right? The biggest, the baddest, the greatest. And they boast about everything he goes. And so I'm saying from his hair down to his shoes, he represents what we're talking about here, what the world considers the greatest. Right? Somebody with power and pride. That's, the world looks up to people like that, and even him. I'll tell you, he walks somewhere, he's going to get all kinds. If he walked in here, I'm saying he probably could get easily get a front seat. <laughs> That's the way it works. So here's what Jesus said in Matthew 20, 25 to 27, though. But here's how Jesus explains it should be, not the way the world is. It said, Jesus called them unto him, his disciples, and he said, Well, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion, power and authority over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But here's where he's instructing them and he's instructing us. He says, but it shall not be so among you, but whosoever. Now, that's all of us can put our name in there. 
whosoever will be great among you. So we, if we want to be great in God's eyes, and really isn't that what ultimately really matters? We want to be great in God's eyes. He says, whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister, or the word would really be servant. And whosoever will be chief, actually, here he goes on to use the word servant or slave. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your slave. So in God's kingdom, that's the way we achieve greatness, is to be a minister, a servant, and a slave to others. I kind of wrote this up here so you all didn't have to painfully watch me write it as we went. But this is the world views things that way versus what the Lord says about a child. And I would say he's, he's more or less talking about a four, somebody that's four years old. He's not talking about a teenager because they might not all fit that category. Not the ones in this church. I mean the ones in the world. All our kids all fit that category. But that's what we have. So, like, you look at the first thing. So the world looks at, hey, greatness is what? It's being ha seeing how much power you can have, right? And I gave the verse there. We've actually already read it. But Jesus said for us, we are to consider ourselves not powerful like the world, but we're to consider ourselves the least. And that's what you have in a little four-year-old, don't you? Because they lack a lot of influence and power. And so their parents have to determine where they live, what they eat, where they go to school, what they do during the day. So parents are supplying help, direction, and resources. And so that's where they fit into that least category, a little child. They're not powerful in the least, and that's why Jesus holds that little boy there. He's still holding that boy while he's talking, using him as an example. And so in the world, the world, they like to rule. They like to be in the ruling class. And yet Jesus says in Mark 9.35 that we need to be subject or servant, subject to authorities. And what is a little child? He is subject to his parents. So we know this from the Old Testament. If you were rebellious to your parents, you know where you ended up if you lived in Israel back then? Beneath a pile of rocks. That's the way it was. I mean, so the kids were obedient. It was really a good thing to be obedient <laughs> in ancient Israel. <laughs> you don't want to come to your own stoning. Here, especially in America, is it not really promoted big time? We have got the most independent spirit. It's just the nature of our country, even the way it was founded. We love watching those movies about the pioneers, and they're independent, and they go out there, and they're on their own, and... We just have an independent-minded culture. But Jesus says we're not to be independent because really the opposite of independent is humble. Because that word for humble, it means humbling to take handouts. That's where that word comes from. A humble person taking handouts. And so it's a humility and dependence that leads to trust. That's what you have in a little child, that humility they have leads them to have to trust, right? They have to trust their parents. In humility, they have to trust that their parents are going to meet all the needs they have, don't they? I mean, they really do. That's the way they are. And the last thing here is, you know, in the world, you want to be the top dog. You want to be the big cheese, the whatever you want, whatever words you want to put in there. But Jesus says that we should look to be last. Like I said, it's a matter of we have to get our thinking geared around because Everywhere we see on TV, they're not promoting being last in, in anything you watch, really. So we're supposed to be, according to Mike, Mark 9.35, at the bottom of the pecking order. But nobody likes being there. Nobody's flesh likes being there, for sure. 
David illustrates everything we're talking about as far as how a little child goes and relates to God. He, he illustrates that perfectly in his life. So he was the youngest in his family and had the least position of all of his brothers. When Samuel comes and he says, one of you is going to be king, they aren't even thinking him at all, are they? Where's he at? Well, he's not even here. He's out with the sheep. And it's like, you want to call this guy David, our little brother? But hey, <laughs> that's the picture you get of a little child. He's the lowest in their pecking order, isn't he? And that's where Jesus says we need to be. And so his dad sends him. He says, here, little guy, lowest in the pecking order. You aren't going to fight, but I want you to take your lunch out to your brothers. Well, he, he was very willing and obedient, wasn't he? He humbly did that. He was glad to help him out. It's just he happened to get there and he... <laughs> Something came up in him, you know, when he sees this filthy Philistine is defying the armies of the living God, and he may have been lowest, and here's the thing, we can be lowest in the pecking order and still be mighty in faith, can't we? As we see that with David, so that doesn't mean we have to have no faith and we can't have the Spirit of God resting on us just because we're the lowest. And I like this quote that I read somewhere, and it went like this, talking about a child. The unconsciousness of rank, in other words, a child isn't conscious of a little child of where they rank in the world. That's adults that think that way. But he said, the unconsciousness of rank, the spontaneous acceptance of inferiority, the absence of claims to consideration and respect, which naturally belong to childhood as it ought to be, and give it win winningness and grace, are the marks of a true disciple. So all of those things that we see in little four-year-old and below kids, he's saying that's, that's the marks of a true disciple. Those should be the marks in us. You know, I've often wondered, you know, you, you go back in Brother Hamilton's office. It's not so much now, but when he would be back there, it'd be filled with kids after church. And you're like, well, no kidding. They all wanted candy. That's why it was filled with kids. You know, I don't know this for a fact, but I think it was because he wanted them to be there because he didn't have to have candy in his office. And... I may be wrong, but I, I, I think Brother Hamilton really liked young people and little kids. Because for one thing, they're very undemanding. And they're very innocent, you know, it's just the way it is. And so there's a winsomeness there about young children. So we're back to Matthew 18 and verse 3. So this idea, look here in verse 3, it says, And and Jesus said, Truly I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I think that it is addressed, I'm going to quote you some verses, but that whole thing of humility and being like a child, it's addressed often throughout the Bible. I'm not even going to obviously give every place. And that is what we are called to be converted unto, to be turned unto this humility that is found in little children. So... It's funny that James and John, they come with their mama to Jesus. And they're like, we want to be set on the left hand and the right hand of you. And he's like, you don't know what you're asking. Because that's going to be a bitter pill to swallow to be able to sit there. And, oh, yeah, we're willing to do that. And he says, well, you will. They're wanting to be exalted. But he's like, the way to that position is through humiliation and pain. And in Matthew 23, listen to this. Jesus said this, Be not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And all ye are brethren, and call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, 
And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself, Jesus said, humble himself as that little child, will be exalted by the Lord. And listen, I've really, I went through Philippians, taught Philippians a few years back in prison, and I just love that book. In chapter 2, it is showing that this is the humility that we're to exhibit to each other as Christians, and it ends up saying, and it was totally displayed perfectly in the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that humility he showed, it says, even the death on the cross, God highly exalted him above every other name. That ex exaltation will come. But listen to this in the beginning of Philippians 2, 2 to 4. Paul writes to them, the Philippians, he says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one, of one accord, of one mind. And he tells them, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And isn't that what we're talking about tonight, what he's saying there? That's a mouthful right there. Romans 12, 16, Paul says, hey, you shouldn't just hang around the cool people, but you should look for those people that are lowly. He says this, Romans 12, 16, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things or people, but condescend. And he doesn't mean to have a condescending attitude, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. You know, most of us, we don't park very much in 3 John. But 3 John's kind of an interesting little book. And in 3 John 9, he talks about this man, Diotrephes. And Diotrephes is just the opposite. He, he was a person in a Christian church that hadn't got the message yet. Because this is what John wrote about Diotrephes. He says, Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, receives us not. So he's in the midst, and he just he wants to be numero uno in that church to the point that people John is sending there that are to sent to help. He's like, no, you're not going to come in here because I'm, I'm calling the shots in this church. Here's what John said. John said this about him now. I mean, this to me, John is the apostle of love. But I'll tell you, John could be hard when he had to be. He knew what hard love was. And here's what he says. You can read it in 3 John. John said, I will remember his deeds, which he does. He's like, man, it doesn't sound like John was overcoming very well. That's what he said. <laughs> he said he's going to remember that this man loved to have the preeminence, that pride of place. And what John says is that love of preeminence led to evil deeds that he did. So not crucifying that desire to be the big shot led to evil deeds he did that John says, when I come, I'm going to have to deal with them, is what he said about Diotrephes. So going back to Matthew 18, or I guess we should still be there, what we're seeing in verses 3 and 4 is that this conversion to be like a little child is not an option that we have. It's, it's a requirement if we want to get into the kingdom. And so look, Matthew 18.3, he says, Truly, Jesus says, Truly, verily, I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, he says, you shall not. If that doesn't happen, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever, therefore, shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And the funny thing is, th this is interesting. These disciples get together and they want to argue about which one of them is going to be the greatest. And you know we're going to look at two places. There's actually three. Do you know when they do that? 
it's right after Jesus has says, I said, I'm going to have to go and suffer on your behalf. And it's like they don't hear him. So look, we're in Matthew 18, look in 17. Just go back one chapter. So this is what leads into chapter 18. Matthew 17, 22, it says this. And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. They didn't like hearing that, and they forgot that like real quick. And came into chapter 18, and they're like, well, which, how do we be the greatest? Which one of us is going to be the greatest? We don't want to hear about all this dying and suffering and death you're talking about. We're in chapter 18. Just look over in chapter 20. So we talked about that James, John, and their mama came and wanted to get a high position. And so right before they do that, right before they ask for that position, and Jesus has to say they're going to be the lowest, in Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19, look what it says. Well, we'll start in 17. And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. And then if you keep reading, starting in verse 20, it's like he hadn't said a thing. It's like, okay, but which one of us is going to be the greatest? Can we sit on your right and your left hand? That's all they can think about. And so here's the thing. They have very subjective hearing, which a lot of people do. I said last night, I'm just saying, people hear what they want to hear. Last night at prison, I said at least three times I believed in the Trinity. And as soon as I was done preaching, somebody came up and they said, do you believe in the Trinity? <laughs> yeah, I, I believe in the Trinity. I, I think I said I did. So I'm saying people, people hear what they want to hear. It's just funny. But all they're hearing, all the disciples, they aren't hearing any of what he's saying about suffering and all that because they're expecting him to set up his kingdom like right then. And so all they're hearing in their selective hearing is about sitting on the thrones and judging the 12 tribes of, of Israel. All they're seeing is all these miracles taking place and the crowds following. And they're on their way to Jerusalem in their mind. Now, Jesus is saying, I'm going there to die, but they're not even hearing him because they think they're going there to set up his kingdom. They really do. They're having a hard time hearing all that. And God hadn't opened their understanding with it. But here's where it comes home to us today. So a lot of times, especially in charismatic groups, all they want to hear is the message of prosperity, power gifts, being popular. And this whole idea, you know, not that it's here. A lot of the charismatic religious people, it's, they like to have that influence and controlling crowds. And they, that's all you hear about when they preach. It's all the prosperity, healing, and, and it's just a totally lopsided message. And they ignore what the disciples were ignoring, they choose to ignore the path that is laid down before that exaltation will take place of suffering and humility. That's a snare we can get into. That's going to be the path. The path to exaltation is through suffering and humility. If you'll turn to, well, we see, we're in Matthew 20, I think. So in Matthew 19, he said this is a requirement. And I think this is... The context of this is on purpose. So in Matthew 19, 13, here again we have Jesus dealing with little children. In Matthew 19, 13, it says, Then were brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples didn't like that. And it says the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, Well, allow the little children and forbid them not to come unto me. 
For of such, so he's saying the same thing, of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. So we have a contrast. So you have here the little ones. And you know what follows right after that? A great one comes to him. So the little ones come and he blesses and he says, these are the ones that are the kingdom of heaven are made up to. But guess who comes to him next? A great one, the rich young ruler. And guess what he wasn't willing to do? He wasn't willing to humble himself to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It says when Jesus put a demand on him, rather than being like a little child and saying, I'll obey, instead, he's, it says he walked away sorrowful. And I think that's the contrast we get there between his pride and the humility of those little children that Jesus prayed for. Well, I think maybe that rich young ruler might have misinterpreted the anointing, the power, and the healing that he sees with Jesus. Because he doesn't want to hear that message of the crucified life that you have to be willing to forsake all and give up all. He wasn't willing to do that. And only a little child would be willing to do that. And so Jesus makes, in verse 3, he makes a big deal about this requirement. It's something we could read over, but we need to not read over it, that he's making this a major requirement. In verse 3, he says, truly, there's a truly tacked on. He could have just said, I say unto you, but he says, truly, it's something we can bank on, except you be converted. And that means, that word converted there means we have to experience an inward change. That's what that word converted means, strepo, to turn or change. And what's the change that needs to take place in us if we want to get into the kingdom of God? We've got to go from a worldly view of greatness to a biblical view of greatness, which is humility and service. And unless that happens, Jesus says, you, any of us, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He says that is a must. Truly, it must happen. So, you know, you have, I say it's a requirement. You know, you go to a lot of restaurants, and there's a little sign outside, and it says shirt and shoes required. So you want to go in there in bare feet, and guess what? They're not going to let you in because they have certain requirements for entrance, and that's what we have here. Jesus says, hey, if we don't, aren't converted and become like little children, there's not going to be any walking through that door of the kingdom of heaven. He's saying that's a must because he says there, except you be converted as little children, you shall not. Ume is the Greek. That means never. Shall not, it means never, certainly not. He's saying you certainly not, will not enter, not at all. And by no means, I'm saying that's an emphatic Greek construction there. He's saying there is no way you're going to come into the kingdom of heaven unless you have your thinking and your heart converted to be kingdom thinking, <laughs> thinking like the Lord thinks. I mean, it's just hard to get our thinking straightened around. And then because you think, wow, the thought of considering and treating any Joe as my equal is very hard. And sometimes it is. I mean, it's just like I say, we, it's hard for us not to carry that pecking order a lot of times into church fellowship because you're like, man, this, this guy, he's just obviously not as smart as I am. He doesn't have the spiritual insights I have. And a, another thing is, you know, it's hard to get delivered from the cool attitude. You know, Joe's just not cool. He just really doesn't know how to carry himself very well. And I like hanging around people that are cool. Right? <laughs> That's the way I always thought of the world. I, I wanted to hang around the coolest people I could at school. I didn't, I didn't want to hang around the other guys. wasn't always real nice to them. But if you're a Christian, you have to get your thinking changed on that. And so, so Joe is sh not, this Joe's not, shy and awkward. <laughs> Mr. Rudy's not shy and awkward at all. But that Joe may be. It, it may be Joe's shy and awkward, and it may be that that Joe is this little 
you know, that child's still standing there during this whole time. He's talking. And that may be Joe he's holding there. You got to be converted and you got to have respect unto people. Still holding him in his midst. And that's what we have here in verse 5. That's what he says. So whosoever, 18.5, whosoever shall receive one such little child, the one he's holding, in my name receives me. It doesn't matter who he is. It doesn't matter how cool he is or isn't or how awkward or shy he is or isn't. So let's go from Matthew 18. If we can go back to James 2, read verses 1 to 13. This is not an unfamiliar but here he's speaking about, you know, accepting that little one, the verse 5 that we just read. And so James 2, 1, he says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring, Donald Trump, in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that wears the gay clothing, and that's not what it means, obviously, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place and say to the poor, Stand thou there or sit here under my footstool. That's <laughs> treating them real well. He says, Are you not then partial in yourselves and aren't you become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to them that love him? He says, But you have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? And don't they, aren't they the ones that blaspheme the worthy name by which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor, and that means whoever your neighbor is, whatever you think about him. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He says, if you do that, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, yet if you kill, you are become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do ye, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. You know, uh, I've taken uh, two trips with the seminary, and um, I enjoyed both of them, and so we had... Uh, on both trips, we had three Ph.D. professors came with the group, and they would give lectures and, and things like that. So there's the professors, and then there's the rest of us peons that are paying their salaries. <laughs> I mean, we're paying their salaries, right? But uh, it's, it was interesting to me to kind of watch how things interacted. So I'll just say there was one Ph.D. professor that, in essence, he had very little to do with the students, and he would have drinks catered to him and brought to him on the trip sat in the front of the bus and left the trip early. And the only reason I'm bringing that up is there was that, and then the second trip we took with the guy that had been a PhD for just as long. Here I was impressed with this. I watched this guy, and I thought he never sat in the front of the bus, and he could have, where all the other PhD guys are. You know where he sat? He sat back with the peons, with us. And another thing I noticed about him that I really appreciated, and it says to me a lot about a man's Christianity was, he didn't just talk, so, you know, we're, we're into the pecking order again, okay? And I'm saying when you're on a trip with people for 10 days and two weeks, you, you start realizing who the cool ones are and who the cool ones aren't. I'm just saying that's just the way things are, human nature, I guess. But I noticed one thing about this Ph.D. professor, and he wasn't trying to prove anything. He's just the way he is. He's a Christian. 
But he would talk to the people that no one would talk to. He'd talk to the ones that were very shy and awkward. And I noticed that. He'd go out of his way to do that. And a lot of times we'd be walking at these different sites, and it's just, you just some people, just something about them that a lot of people weren't talking, they didn't fit in well, and he would, he would make sure they fit in. And I'm saying, I'm saying, there I'm seeing the Lord in him. I'm just saying, I, I saw that comparison. I just wanted to bring that up. The ones that weren't funny, because, you know, that's the way it works on these trips, you know, is the guys that are funny, everybody wants to hang around, all right? And then there's me that none of my humor was working. <laughs> it seemed that way. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. But uh, compare that also to, uh, there was a local minister I painted his house. He says, I want you to come down with me to the church. We're having a big thing tonight. I'm like, ah, oh, that's fine. I'll, I'll be there. So he gets there, and here's, here's what he's saying. Here He tells a person that's wanting to go into the ministry, and is going to be a pastor. He says, listen, you need to come with me, and I'm going to have you schmooze with all the big shots. He goes, because that's the way you're going to get ahead in this denomination. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, I don't know that you really even hear what you're saying because I know he didn't. I mean, that's just the way they operate. But that's not the way we should operate, is it? <laughs> because listen to what Jesus said in Mark 9. Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receives me. And whosoever shall receive me receives not me, but him that sent me. And we're here again. I've already read this. But he says, we saw one casting out demons. And he's like, we should stop him. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Anybody that's partaking in our ministry and helping us, hey, he's one of us. And he goes on to say, just offering up anyone that will just give a cup of cold water. And it reminds me of Ben-Hur. There he is, that slave condemned to death. And they have the Lord Jesus gives him water when he needs it. But he says, you just do that. You just help out a disciple in my name that's being persecuted. Whatever reason, they don't have water. Just something as simple as that. And he says, we will not lose our reward just to have mercy on a humble person, to just humbly be a child like that, to not turn our head because they seem like they're a nobody. So in conclusion, culture promotes being great, doesn't it? Our culture, we've already said that probably too many times, in politicians, advertising, magazines, movies, and especially in our sports. I mean, it's a lot of self-promotion goes on there. But Jesus said... Then in his eyes, in the Father's eyes, in God's eyes, the greatest is the last, the least, a servant, humble. And when have we seen the last TV special on that guy? We don't see him. <laughs> so he says we must turn away. We must turn, be converted from the world's idea of greatness. Because this is what we need to avoid. We think that what impresses the world is going to impress God, and that's not the way it is. It's just the opposite. God is impressed with what the world isn't because God is impressed with that person, the one of us, that will go in their closet and pray for somebody that they know is in a trial that maybe in, in the world's eyes would be a nobody. But that's who God says he's impressed with, and that's the person God will reward. And God is impressed with the person that go out of their way to encourage somebody they know that needs it, that no one else seems to pay much attention to. That's, that's who God is really impressed with. So he says, though, if we do not change completely our idea of what a pecking order ought to be, and we need to strive for the bottom and not the top, Jesus says. He says if we don't do that, if we don't get our, our thinking reversed, I mean, it's really almost a total reversal of what we were raised, at least me, raised in the world. Clint Eastwood, John Wayne, those guys, they weren't humble. 
But that's what I was raised. <laughs> so we've got to get our thinking and what's cool and what isn't and what's great and what isn't great totally reversed. Because Jesus said if we don't, if I don't, he says I'll never, ever, without a doubt, see the kingdom of God. That's what he said. He said, verily, truly, amen. You won't. I won't. So, if it's not serious, it is serious. It's a serious. So we're going to see next time when we, when we pick up in Matthew 18 how serious it is because he's going to show the consequences if we cause one of these little children, one of his little children that have, have been converted, if we, any of us, anyone, causes one of them to stumble. It's very serious. And on the other side, we're going to see, though, that God has great concern for you and I as his children, as individuals. So here's, here's what we'll see. He knows he's made us vulnerable. He knows we're sheep, and sheep are vulnerable by nature. He knows he's made us that way. And so here's what God will do, and think about it. He's done it for me. He will go to great pains to rescue us when we get in trouble. And listen, we've all been in trouble of one sort, right, where... He'll either send somebody your way, he'll send a message, he'll speak to you in a lot of different ways when you're, you're not headed on the right path, and that's how much God loves us. So we're going to see that side of it too. So there's a warning we'll see next time if we call somebody to stumble, but we'll also see that God is a shepherd that cares for us, his sheep, and we're all sheep. All of us are, and we're all prone to do things that sheep do, which aren't always real smart. So... So tonight we looked at the first five verses, and the message is that people that will be in the kingdom of God will be, this is, this, I could have just said this and quit, I guess, people that will be in the kingdom of God will be characterized, this will be their character, this is what they'll be characterized, is childlike humility. That's what God's looking for, and those will be the ones in his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask, Lord, that you'll just open our eyes and, and help us to have our thinking reversed and that you'll continue to speak to us that we need to become converted and to become like little children and have our thinking changed, the thinking of the world, and, and be divorced from the, what we've been raised in, from all the influence that we have through the media, through just everyday activity, through our fallen nature. And we just thank you that you're gentle with us, that you'll teach us that, and that you'll lead us along, Lord, and bring us on right paths so that we can have right attitudes towards each other and towards you and towards those out in the world. And I just thank you that you'll continue to teach us along those lines and that you were here tonight to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen.